when that happens over time, you can become so dependent on what that leader is going to say or that person is going to lead you or give you a word or correction or whatever you need or whatever you're looking for. And the next thing you know is you're not even praying. You're not even asking God. And then then you yeah. become codependent on that relationship. And then it can get real messy. It can get real dangerous. But a lot of times people don't even know when they cross that line. Encouraging, inspiring, and equipping leaders. This is Coach and Joe. Welcome to Coach and Joe. I'm here with Michael Thornton. Michael, what is a New Testament idol? A New Testament idol could be many things. Obviously, it could be uh, something that we elevate in front of the Lord Jesus. So mm, it could actually, I like that. yeah, it could actually be a lot of things. So really practical hit, hit at home could be could be a family member, could be ministry. Could be community, could be uh, a friendship, a relationship, could be going to football games, could be playing video games. Anything is on the table to be a New Testament idol. All right. You were, you probably know the word more than anybody I know. Take a stroll through memory lane, Old Testament idols. Let's, let's bounce it back and forth. I remember Moses coming down the mountain. He's, what are they doing? Was he mad before he was coming down the mountain? He got mad. He got mad because they were making down. earrings. Well, he first heard them. What is that noise? It's like a big party going, a big rave party going on down there. <laughs> what was that story? So Moses is up on the Lord. He's doing his thing. Forty days fasting and praying. Father's giving him all these downloads for the nation. You know, he's going to be a spiritual leader. He comes down. Here's this party going on. It's like, what is going on? He and left, they said they were praising the Lord. Yes. Left his brother in charge. He's thinking everything's going to be good. Aaron's praising got the it. Lord, brother. Yeah. And he comes down and all of a sudden he's like, what is this going on? And basically they had take all the gold, made a calf, and they said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Well, uh, is it Josiah that destroyed idols as a as young king? Oh, Lord, yes. Josiah was one of the kings in the Old Testament. He destroyed everything. And so basically Old Testament idols were, if if worship is an expression of whatever's at the center of my heart, mm-hmm. it's when Israel would worship other gods. Yes. The polytheistic society. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And so it's like God of the sun, God of the moon. Stuff's kind of weird for us now, but back then that was main thought and is a monotheistic view with Israel. Like, yes, most high God, I am your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Think about that. He said, he said that. No other gods before me and make no graven image. You know, the, here, one of the Old Testament idols really that's consistent throughout the Old Testament is the idol of Baal. It is Baal. Yeah. Baal is the uh, yes. storm god in Canaanite culture. Mm-hmm. And why that was so prevailing out of all, this is what I learned about it, is that Baal was considered to be the god who would bring rain. Now, why is that important? Because uh, when you worship Baal, he would bring rain. Well, back then, the number one form of revenue economy for the nation was harvesting crops. It was agriculturally based. Mm -hmm. So whoever brought the rain would bring money, income, stability. Mm -hmm. And so, but Baal worship required child sacrifice, crazy sexual immorality acts. And Israel was duped in. I used to think like, how could they, how could just they fall for it? But it wasn't so, it wasn't so easy. It was more mixture. So it was putting the names of God, Jehovah, God of, uh, brought us out of Egypt, but then wrapping that around Baal. Okay. I want to jump into what I believe. This is 10 years experience now being a lead pastor of a local faith community. Mm. You know what I believe is an, is an idol in today's church? Community. Yes. Community. So let's just state our working definition of idolatry. It's when any of us receive strength, nourishment, identity, 
when we put our focus, faith on anything above the Most High God, yes, above the Father, right? Yep. I read a story in uh, Bob Sorge's book, The Secret Place, the other day about about doves. They have such narrow vision. They, they wow. Literally, their vision is sovereignly ordained to just be able to focus like through a tunnel. Mm-hmm. That, tunnel why, vision. So we should have tunnel vision yes. on Jesus Christ. When I say community, I've noticed that community, not always, but can become an idol. What in the world am I talking about? Chad, when I hear that, when community can become an idol, it's it's when we find our our value, our worth, all those things in people. And it becomes very slippery because on one hand, there is a beautiful benefit of being in community. Yeah. Obviously, the Bible is really big on community, relationships. God, God speaks to us through friendships. God heals us through yeah. friendships and relationships. Yeah. But if we're not careful, we can become codependent on those relationships. And then that begins to elevate the person in front of God in our life. This happens so often that I never... I never even knew it was a thing. And God began to show me that it's actually idolatry. Mm. You just said a huge word there that in psychology, that explains the process of what I'm calling community as an idolatry. And that is codependency. Yes. Explain codependency to me in layman's terms. Uh, codependency is, is basically when we draw our worth and our value, even our security, just as personal human beings um, from a relationship that, that, that can become very unhealthy. Uh, let's take uh, the idea of, let's say that the the father gives me a dream in, in our community here and at Garden College, Garden Church, Garden Academy, dreams. I mean, this community is just, it's crazy how many dreams get come in. If I have a dream and I don't process that with the father first and I immediately give it to someone else and ask them what that means without me wrestling with it, that's a danger sign. If mm. I... I'm struggling with what the father is saying, and I don't I don't take time out to wrestle with that. And I go to a person, a group, a small group. If I'm going to people before I'm going to the vine, I'm in trouble. We see yeah. this often. All the time. And, you know, it, it, we see it a lot. And it's, a, like I said, a very slippery slope because there's people, I believe, there's no intention. Like, they love, admire, respect the people in their life, the leaders in their life. And I believe there's good intention out of it. But when that happens over time, you can become so dependent on what that leader is going to say, or that person's going to lead you or give you a word or correction or whatever you need or whatever you're looking for. And the next thing you know is you're not even praying. You're not even asking God. And then, then you yeah. become codependent on that relationship. And then it can get real messy. It can get real dangerous. But a lot of times people don't even know when they cross that line. From the scriptures, he's showing me something right now. From the scriptures and through church history, t- just give me five or ten people that you would say had really close friendship with God. Okay, obviously Abraham okay. He was the friend of God. Right. Uh, King David, uh, Samuel the prophet, okay. um, Paul the apostle. And then obviously Jesus is and God, Jesus. but he's submitted to the Father. You know what they all have in common? What's that? Because God is showing me right now what is a strategy to not allow community to ever become an idol. God's closest friends spend a lot of alone time with God. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. 
So let's look at our hero. Let's just think. Let's just think through the scriptures in our mind of our mm-hmm. hero. He is the ultimate. He's not just for me. He's, to me, he's not just the entry into heaven. He's not just the entry even into friendship with God. He is the example of how to model my life. The methodology of Jesus yes. is pretty fascinating. You know, a lot of us be caught off guard if if we could get in a time machine and go back and follow him. He was very calculated, methodical mm-hmm. with the plan. Uh, ethos. That word ethos, as was his custom. It's it's a Greek word for rigorous spiritual habit or discipline. Mm. One of the things that Jesus did a lot was withdraw yep. from community to be with Abba. It's important. And so I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be some mean old school guy, but my calendar determines what I value. Yep. If I am not spending more time with Abba in the secret place than I am with community. My words are hollow. My calendar's loud. That's a word. That's a powerful word. I can tell you what you value by looking at your checkbook. Michael, I spent, I, I knew last year off a of word of knowledge. Mm. I've only been to one Georgia game this year. I knew last year, I was like, if I'm going to take my boys to games this last year, because I knew, I knew we're going to win it all. If you looked at my checkbook of what I spent last year versus this year, I highly value Georgia football last fall. Mm. This fall, I went to one game. We're seven games in now. Basically, my calendar tells me what I value. Mm-hmm. My checkbook Check. tells me what I value. If if we can get really practical and take the the mystical thought of what it means to bomb with God out and make it really, yes. really practical. How many times did Moses go up on that mountain? He, yeah. How many times was Joshua halfway up on the mountain? A lot. And by the way, who's with Moses when he's on the backside of that desert? What I'm saying is solitude is a weapon against community becoming an idol. This is something that drives you. Mm-hmm. This is a part of your ethos. Big time. Tell me practically what it looks like. Practically what it looks like is just having intentional time and space just to meet with him. Is it pleasure or pressure for you? Pleasure. How have that happen? <laughs> Take your time. Okay. So for me and my personal story, it happened through a rehab center where, where I found God at. You know, I, I I was I was shipwrecked. My life was destroyed from addiction and drugs. And when I got to a rehab, it was just part of the program that from 7:30 in the morning to 8 a.m. was just 30 minute window. Everybody on the campus shut down. So you couldn't talk, you couldn't do anything. And that was your time to pray, read, to journal. And that was just part of the ethos of everyday life in that program. And what happened within that 30-minute window is I met God, and God met me. And when he became real, it was, oh, man, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. So when I begin to notice a change is I begin to wake up a little earlier. I only had to do 7.30 to 8, but then I started setting my alarm for 6.30 because I couldn't wait till the next morning. Spend more time with him. And it just got just got in me. Michael, I was so tangled up before my converge, my second conversion. I was born again at 12, but I saw him at 30. Michael, when he looked at me, I was on the Sid Roth show recently, and and you know they, they highly value supernatural stories. It's Sid Roth, supernatural. Yeah. And so they wanted me to tell my story. I hadn't told it in a long time. I saw him. I mean, he had on a $5 looking tunic. And... Literally, there's two angels beside him. Mm. The angels were serious. The angels scared me. The Lord didn't. The angels were, they were terrifying. Mm. When the Lord looked at me, it went, it went through me. His love. If people could really start to believe theologically, just from the scriptures, how much he loves us, it ain't a problem. It's It's no offense to you, Michael. 
I'm, you know, I'm being a little funny what I'm about to say, but <laughs> you're a good friend. You ain't a better friend than Jesus. Absolutely. Like I, I enjoy our, our relationship. But when you get to a place with the Lord of like, I love spending time with you. I love it. You know you're growing in God when you miss that secret place. Yes. Goodness gracious. Marion Beard's on staff with us. She's directing our youth and she's really involved in pretty much everything we're doing around here. She had a dream in her dream a few nights ago. I lived up on a house in her dream way up on top of a mountain. Mm, wow. Talk to me about the image of Psalm 24. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? There's something about going to that mountain mm. without community. There's mm. something about this ethos of, hey, I love y'all. I'll see y'all later. I'm going to get with Abba. Talk to me about this ascending thing. Mm -hmm. Psalm 24. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? He who has clean hands. And a pure heart, and who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Idol, that government. We Michael. talked about it in the first part of this. So those are three things that David is figuring out. Man, this is what this is what helps us walk up the mountain and into that place because he is the God of the mountain, just as he's the God of the valley. But to encounter the God of the mountain, so what does clean hands look like? There could be numerous um, implications to that. One for me personally that I know. Is when he spoke to me, I said, I asked him, I said, how do how do I have clean hands? Specifically, he said, when you take your things, when you take your hands off the things that I give you. <laughs> he said, you gotta learn how to hold things without holding the knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> he said that, I've never known he told you that. Yeah. And he said, that's what makes your hands clean. He said, it's it's a dance. He said, because I'm going to give you things, but you can't hold them, but you got to hold them. Do you know how much I value that? You've been around me for a few years. Mm. I, I, I never knew he told you that. Yes. Michael, don't touch it. Don't don't touch what, it. We, you and me talk about this all, all the time. The ring. My God. Tolkien, the ring. <gasps> Why do people, and you say, what the heck's the ring? Explain mm. what we mean when we say that. When we say the ring, obviously we're referring to the movie, The Lord of the Rings, yeah. which the heartbeat of the movie is they got to get this ring yeah. to the fires of mortar to destroy it because yeah. the ring is evil. However, the ring is powerful. So whoever holds the ring conquers and, and has domination. And in the in the whole series, everybody wants the ring except the hobbits. Mm -hmm. But what does the ring do when people get close to it? It begins to corrupt them mm -hmm. internally. Mm -hmm. So that's a metaphor that we use because we see it all the time. So when the ring represents people who walk in positional power, yep. uh, spiritual authority. And so when we get next to that ring, if there's deficiencies in our character, and I feel the Lord did deficiencies yep. in our identity, we'll gravitate to somebody who's a little bit more comfortable in their own skin, and we draw off their strength, and it feeds us internally. I'm going to tell you a story I never told you. I'm not going to say yeah. his name. If I said his name, everyone listening to me would know who he is. Um, I... I've been to so many of these conferences over the years. You know, I'm a charismatic lead pastor. You go to conferences, just kind of what you do. Mm. Been spoke spoken to some of them, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's this one particular person. When he walks into a room, even other ministers, they lose their minds. They can't. They they some of them manifest. Yes. You say, "What do you mean manifest?" I don't mean like poltergeist. I mean they get antsy. They it's like they were just about to die to have a conversation with this person. Mm. Well, one day. One day I'm at the urinal <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, John Doe's about to walk in here. Mm. And John Doe walked in there. He's at the urinal. So here I'm at the urinal of, of a general in God's kingdom. Michael, it was in that moment, you know, when you're half naked, you got to pull your britches down to use the restroom. 
you know, you find out who you are and God, I didn't, it didn't, um, I didn't react like a lot of people. Yes. But I'm going to tell you why I didn't. Because I had a nervous breakdown at the age of 30. <laughs> and I met the famous one. You, you understand our master is the sure. most famous person ever. Do I really need the idol of somebody else in my life? All idolatry is is looking to something else or someone else before I look to God. It's an illusion. For praise, for adoration, for nourishment. Yes. You know what I mean? I do. You want to know the number one idol in my life that he's been dealing with me on, and I'm having more and more and more breakthrough with this, with intermittent fasting? Food. Food. So when I feel pain, I run towards food. And somebody said, well, just stop doing that. Okay. Well, tell an alcoholic to stop drinking beer and see. They'll just stare at you. Yes. That's not the way you get breakthrough. I just keep giving it. I need you. That's why I'm wearing this thing. This this addiction um, bracelet is a whole story. Basically, I, what I'm saying is this. Even in our mess, when we just place him as the supreme priority mm-hmm. of our lives, it's like, why? Once I connect with you, why do I need I don't need someone else's approval on me. Yes, I don't. I don't need it. This sets me free. This conversation has blessed me. Oh, me too. You know what? If you if you struggle with um, with this, instead of beating yourself up over it, mm. just start developing an ethos. Go after the Lord. Give it to Him. Invite Him into your mess. Tell Him I'm sick of having idols in my life. Matter of fact, I double dog dare you to do something. I feel like God's giving me a picture mm. of a group of people in England listening to this show. I. I double dog dare you to ask the Holy Spirit to identify if there's any idols in your life. Yes. Now, if you pray that prayer, he's so truthful, he can't help himself. So be careful. <laughs> He'll answer that one quickly. Oh, yeah. He loves those prayers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also bless you with a passion for solitude. Go make God the number one priority in your life. Be at peace. Thanks for joining us on the Coach and Joe Leadership Podcast. Don't miss the Coach and Joe Talk Show on YouTube and check out coachandjoe.com for more resources, blogs, and merch. We will see you next time.